Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. There's an um, old story uh, that goes way back in Pentecostal circles that are tend to be a little bit more... Um, fluid in how things are done at times. You know, the pastor steps up to the platform, and as he steps to the platform, he starts to look at his notes and then takes his notes and says, you know, I, I had all this prepared, but I feel God's saying something different here today, and so in the move of the Spirit, I'm going to speak, and he tosses the notes aside and goes into this incredible sermon. Um, sometime later, somebody picks up the notes and sees they're all blank pieces of paper, um, <laughs> and so strictly an, an, uh, you know, an action of some type. Um, that's not what's happening this morning. Um, I was listening to the team in rehearsal, and um, so, some of the music that they were doing, the way things were happening, I just felt like like we needed to do something a little bit different here because of how this flows in what we're talking about today. I talked with uh, Jake, and I talked with Mickey, and they were both like, yeah, okay, so we, we changed some things a little bit ago. Um, I'm not trying to punch something up with that. I'm just giving you an alert that um, of two things. One is that, that maybe there is something unique that God is doing here today. Um, two is that if your tendency is always to kind of tune out once the message is done or, or whatever the case is, you might not want to do that this time around. Um, basically, we moved the entire worship set to the back end. And we've also changed and enhanced it a bit. Um, and so I, I just want to put alert to that. We're dealing with a series, Are We There Yet? We're talking about um, the book of Exodus, but really we're talking about the Exodus, which is the entire journey of Israel uh, coming out of Egypt and out of slavery into faith and into an understanding of who God is. And today I want to talk to you about a confession of complaint. And um, I'm, I'm going to do a sweeping um, grasp of what's taking place here. Rather than dealing with a singular event, there is a pattern of behavior that um, uh, Israel exhibits that I think we do as well too. But to get a picture of it, I think you need the full scope. Now, having said that, one other thing I'm going to say to myself is to realize that my time needs to be adjusted. So, Because normally I'd make sure that by around 10 o'clock I'm finishing. And if I do that, we're going to be here about 10.30, maybe quarter to 11. Um, so just something for you to worry about. Um, <laughs> So, looking into Exodus chapter 15, let's just take it there. They'd come from the Red Sea. They'd come from the whole parting of the sea and that whole traumatic event that happened. Um, and they went to the desert of Shur, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 and 24. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why it was called Marah. It was a place of bitterness. And then this verse, verse 24. So, the people, so the people what? Grumbled, Grumbled against Moses saying... What are we to drink? They, they grumbled. What are we to drink? Um, they've just seen one of the most incredible miracles take place. Now, back that even up. They saw 10 
miracles occur, if you will, with the ten plagues of Egypt that completely humbled the, the, the greatest culture of that time and the greatest king of that time. They just see it. Then they see all those people wiped out and they see the parting of the Red Sea and they walk across dry land. And then in, in the carnage afterwards, they pick up all this weaponry and tell them, oh, they're a fully equipped army. They've just seen all this. <laughs> and three days later, because the, 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 the water fountain's not working right, okay, they grumble. What are we to drink? <laughs> These people are so stupid, we'd never do that. I mean, we just wouldn't, right? We also would never crucified Christ. I mean, we'd be much smarter than doing that. We, we would never be in part of that crowd either. Um, okay, so they, they, had a, they had a lapse. They had a moment here. Um, give them a break. Uh, God provides water. Um, he does some deal to the... And, and, and there's a piece of wood, I think, thrown in, and that changes the water. It's not the wood that does it. It's the obedience of Moses in response to God that, that makes the water drinkable. Okay, that's, that's chapter 15. Uh, let's go to Exodus chapter 16, the very next passage. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Uh, which is, and that don't read into that like they're in the place of sin. It's uh, just the name of it. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community, the whole community what? Grumbled. Hmm. I'm sensing a pattern here. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Okay, let's pick it up. They're in the desert. They're in a process of walking through a desert. A lot of times when we're in desert experiences, we're having things that don't seem to go right. Um, it's not unusual, I guess, to, to, to have a little bit of, of grumbling. Um, I do think that there are people within the kingdom of God who have a particular gift of grumbling. I don't know if you've come across these types, but I have. Charles Spurgeon, uh, he was a pastor back in the 1800s, said this one time as an illustration. He said, a heavy wagon was being dragged along a country lane by a team of oxen. The axles groaned and creaked terribly. When the oxen turned around, thus uh, addressed the wheels, hey there, why do you make so much noise? We bear all the labor, and we, not you, ought to cry out. And he went on to say in his message, those complain first in our churches who have the least to do. The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed amongst those who have no other talents or who keep what they do have wrapped up in a napkin. I'm not trying to say that as a shot at people, but I, I have found a lot of times those who are most earnestly into the work of things actually tend to grumble the least. It's often those who are the peripheral to the process or just didn't get a drink of water that they expected. So they haul all of them grumble. And, and what are they grumbling about this time? In verse 3 it says of Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And then here's the reworking of history. <laughs> they were slaves. They were beaten. They were abused. But in this reworking of history, it's we sat around pots of meat. We just sat around eating good stuff all the time. That was what we did. We had barbecues, you know. And ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out of this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Again, that reworking of the memory of what Egypt was like. This is a theme throughout their entire journey. They can't seem to get Egypt out of their mind. Even though they left there, it continues to haunt them and, and, and restructure in their brain. 
I won't put this up, but, but I can give you a snapshot of the next couple of verses. Um, that very evening, it says that quail came and covered the camp, a type of, uh, of, of bird. And so it covered the camp. There was this, this, this whole massive flock that settlers. The end result being is that they had meat that literally flew in. And, and this wasn't the only time I don't think this happened, but they have all this meat suddenly available. Um, and then they found in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? And that's kind of in quotes if you look it up in the Scripture a bit there, because um, they didn't know what it was. But also the phrase, what is it, seems to be the Hebrew word. Um, uh, it's a Hebrew word that, that lines up with manna. In other words, we think the word manna is basically from their exclamation when they say, what is it? Okay, well, let's just call it that from now on. What is it? You got some what is it? I've got some what is it. I got a couple of what is it. Let's have what is it tomorrow. So that's what they called manna because they didn't know what it was. It was completely outside their experience. And we're told that it was like wafers with honey. It was something that tasted wonderful. And they had this provision for decades afterwards um, that this kept coming. Now, it would come in the morning. And um, they were told that, that, that they were to. To, to take whatever they needed for the day, but don't try to keep it overnight. Don't do that. Just gather what you need for the day. Don't try and store it. It doesn't keep well. There's no, it's, it's, it's completely organic. It's not going to uh, keep well. And they ignore him, it says. And they went ahead, some of them, probably again, it's an issue of trust. You know, God provided today, but will he provide tomorrow? Don't know. Let's hold some back in case. And they find out when they do that that the next morning it's all wormy and maggoty and gross. And they're rebuked by Moses saying, Look, you need to trust the Lord on this. He said, Pick it up today. He'll provide the next day. Don't try to provide things separate from what He's providing. That's a whole message on its own that we're not going to get into today. But are we prepared to receive what He's given us today and, and trust that He'll provide for tomorrow? doesn't mean we don't use wisdom and there's a lot of issues that we have freedom to gather stuff and keep it and finances whatever the case may be the case but but there's also some things they're an issue of trust we talked about that a little bit last week so you can go and review that one a bit if you'd like and so it gets rotten the next day with one exception there's one little caveat here is that when it comes to the time of the Sabbath the day before the Sabbath they're to gather two days worth and that doesn't rot and they're told they're to gather two days' worth because the next day there's not supposed to be any labor or effort or work that respect the Sabbath and rest. And so on that time, they're to collect twice the amount. Um, th- just a very interesting thing. Uh, I highly the Sabbath rest and also the dependency upon God. Now, there is something else, though, about this that goes to the theme I want to counter another theme of the grumble, if you will, with another theme that we're going to creep in here a bit. Exodus chapter 16, verse 33. We'll put this one up. So Moses said to Aaron, this is interesting, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, an an amount of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. The Lord commanded Moses, and Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years, four decades, every single day. They had manna. Till they came to a land that was settled, they ate man until they reached the border of Canaan. That's pretty phenomenal. Forty days, or forty years rather, your food is provided for. Your your main um, provision is there. 
But what I want to draw your attention to is there's a jar that's to keep a portion of it, and this manna doesn't rot, it doesn't decompose, it's kept in somehow a pristine condition. We could argue maybe that it's supernatural, we could argue that it was sealed in some way in this jar, and it's placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. We're not going to go into this today, but Ark of the Covenant has been one of the most maligned things in, in popular culture. You know, Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant, this fantastic weapon that destroys people with these rays and all this stuff. No, it was, it was to represent um, God's covenant with the people. And when in the temple, the actual presence of God resided on what was called the mercy seat. We'll get to that later. But I want to draw your attention to this. Inside there is this jar of manna. Now already inside, and we've jumped ahead a bit, so we'll have to back up at one point here. Not today, but later. Um, there's also the tablets of the law. Okay, the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, we'll find out this is a second set, actually, because the first set, uh, Moses had a, Moses has some anger issues. And we'll see about that as we go along. He, he has that a bit. And, and he wrote the previous ones. So in this Ark of the Covenant, you have the tablets of the law. You have this jar of manna. The last thing that will be added later is Aaron's rod which in a particular moment actually buds. So you have this rod that's just a stick. It's like what I had up here before. Um, but in a, in a certain moment it actually shows buds of an, uh, I think an almond tree or something like that, which is a miraculous thing. So these three things are inside. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant is a type of memory box. It's not just where the presence of God is. It's a type of memory box. The law. Don't forget the law and your covenant with God. The, the uh, manna, don't forget the provision I've made for you. Don't forget those things. Remember it. Every time this ark's carried around, you see that. Remember the provisioning. Remember the covenant. Remember those things. That's really significant, I think, in this moment. Now, Exodus chapter 17, it continues on. and I, I won't put this up, but I'll just quickly throw to you the, the, the same thing. They're, they're out in this desert from place to place. They camp here. There's no water for the people to drink. So they quarrel with Moses and said, give us water to drink. He says, why do you quarrel with me? Why are you grumbling again? Okay, so 17 verse 3, it says, but the people were thirsty for water there. And they, we know by now what, they grumbled, okay, against Moses. And they said, why would you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst. Moses cries out to God and says, what am I to do with this? These people, they're almost ready to stone me at this point in time. Um, those of you who have been in leadership, leadership can be tough. Those of you who are in some of those roles right now, um, I can't imagine some if you, if you had to be part of the, the strike negotiations rather than the UAW side or on the Big Three side. I mean, whatever part you play in any of this, I mean, it's, it's tough being in these roles. And, and Moses sees that and feels that. Um, God tells him, and this will be an important thing for you to remember later, it will be on the test. Um, he's told to strike a rock. And when you strike the rock, water will come out. And so he does that. He strikes the rock. Now remember this. Just remember this part. He's told to strike the rock and water will come out. There's another time we'll discuss later where he's just told to command the water to come out and instead he gets amped up and he strikes the rock 
And he wasn't told to do that. And there's a price for that issue to be paid. But here he is. He's told to strike it. So the water comes out. They're provided for again. Um, Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, and they call the place Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quirling. And so they named this place basically a time of testing and a time of fighting or quirling or grumbling. Okay. Because the Israelites quarreled because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So they were questioning in their mind whether he was even there still yet. Was he present with us? Now, this is just a sampling of some of the items that happen in regards to uh, the, the, the grumbling and the moaning that they did. This is just a, just a small snapshot, just a snippet of it. This is a pattern they carry throughout the entire period of time. I don't know if you've known people like this before. Uh, my, my father was probably the least grumbling person I ever know. He was um, of that generational time that just, you know, you sucked it up. And there's a bad side of that. You don't really share sometimes your feelings or emotions. But, but I never heard a complaint really of any kind. In fact, usually he'd be the one to take the lesser part of whatever it was. You know, you have a, a loaf of bread and you know how there's the heel, we'd call it that, on the back end of it, the, the crusty part on either end of the bread. You know, when we'd have bread together sometimes and make sandwiches up, he'd always, if there was, wasn't enough there, he'd always take the heel. I always noticed that. Just even as a kid, you're taking the heel. You know, that's, that's kind of interesting. When we would complain, and we did that often because we were children, and um, I have a theory about ministry that all ministry is ultimately children's ministry. <laughs> some of them are 60-year-olds old, some are 10-year-old, but they're all children's ministry. Um, he would sing, I remember the song, you sit here and start to sing to us, oh, they grumble on a Monday, grumble on a Tuesday, grumble on a Wednesday. They, I can't remember the rest of somebody just, they, just the whole idea that you grumble every single day. Some of you know the song. Others of you are too young to remember that song, and you really should listen to it. Um, and so there'd be this challenge. This is what the Israelites did. They grumbled about everything. They'd see this incredible miracles these incredible provisions of God, and they still grumble. Now, you can translate this into your own world, especially those of you in leadership or in roles of responsibility. You've got people that grumble to you all the time. That's all they do. Half of your job is just handling grumbles and complaints and people who are, uh, who are irritated and annoyed at one thing or another. And COVID, oh my gosh, that, that, that helped us a lot, didn't it, in that area? And then we ourselves... You know, people complain and grumble to us, and so we find someone else to grumble and complain to that's higher up on the chain or up here or whatever else is the case. And we vent and we pour out, and it doesn't seem to get better. It seems to get darker in us, I think, when we do that. Grumble, the, the term grumble, to complain about someone or something in an annoyed way, to complain in a surly manner, mutter discontentedly. They complain about something in a bad-tempered way. In, in the etymology of it, to grumble it means to complain in a low voice, to make a low rumbling sound, mutter between the teeth, murmur, mutter, grunt, to rumble, growl. <laughs> Complaint. Complaint can be a lamentation, expression of grief, sorrow, anguish, but also of dissatisfaction or disapproval. A statement of grievances, a formal accusation. What's the formal accusation? God, you've not provided for us. God, we don't have water. God, we don't have food. 
God, uh, this isn't working in my job deal. This isn't working. My children are terrible. My spouse is horrible. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a skin condition. Uh, I, I'm not sleeping well. Uh, my, my career's not advancing. Uh, you know, uh, gosh darn it, all those kids on campuses today, they're idiots. Well, that's true, but that's a separate issue. Okay? We, we can go off on all these grumbles and complaints. Ultimately, we're, we're challenging even God on that, and we have a charge against God. You have not provided for me. This is the core of what the Israelites are saying. You're not doing your job. You're not keeping up your half of the covenant. How ridiculous is that? Nobody saw more miracles, had more provisioning done than the Israelites. Nobody. And then the next day, they'd go right back to it. I could list a whole bunch of cases. I'll, I'll stop here, but there's, there's, it, it continues all the way through. They finally get, decades later, they get, or years later, they get to the, uh, um, uh, to the promised land, and they send in the 12 spies. And ten of them, two of them come back and say, we can do this, Joshua and Caleb. We can do this. It's a, it's a winner. The other ten come back and say, these guys are giants in there. We're like, we're like little grasshoppers compared to them. There's no way we can pull this off. And the people, after having everything else they saw, said, we're not going in there. Better for us to go back to, guess where? Egypt. They bring that whole thing out again. We've gone the whole journey. You finally got us there. and We're ready to go in. And it's like, no, we're not going to do that. Heck no, we won't go. And God's going to wipe the whole thing right off. He just, let's start off. Moses, you and me, we'll find someone new and wipe them all out. And Moses intercedes with them. And so he doesn't wipe them out there, but he does... He does say something specific. Numbers chapter 14, verses 21 and 23. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs saw my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness. So he's talking the ten plagues. He's talking all this other stuff that's happened. And yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. Looks like God's counting. Now one of two things is happening here. He's either using that as an, an overstatement you know, like you tell your kids, I've told you a hundred times. No, nah, you told them like 18 times probably, okay? And so it could be he's just saying I told him. But it's more likely he's actually specifying 10 times. There are everything from lacking faith before crossing the Red Sea, the bitter water of Mara, complaining of the desert of sin, collecting more men than they're supposed to, uh, the lack of water. Another place, the golden calf incident, that's a biggie. We'll talk about that at some point in time. A lack of food, all those different things. So he's got 10 times. They put me to the test and have not obeyed my voice. None of these guys are going to see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. And so they go wandering for a lot more time until that generation dies out. And the only one that's left of it is Joshua and Caleb, the two guys that are faithful. Different conversation. This whole theme of grumbling, of complaining, now, I, I, I'm pretty confident that there's very few people in this room that can identify with this discussion. Because none of you grumble, none of you complain. None of you have ever raised an issue up to a family member or to a coworker or to your boss or, or God forbid, that you do it up to God. None of you have done that. I'm the only one that has done that. And so I come today to confess to you that I do that. And, and I lean upon your righteousness and your great patience and your wisdom to absolve me of this sin and to give me counsel in this moment. I want to confess to you 
and give to you a confession of complaint. I find an impatience with other drivers on the road, all of them, <laughs> all of them. I put my car in for repair, uh, a simple thing that should have been uh, taken care of, just a removal of a wheel bearing and a fresh one put on, and it was one that had been defective and had been put on earlier by the organization, and they couldn't get it off. A one-day repair turned into my car being unavailable to me for two weeks. This is not right, and I'm sharing with it you now, and I'll, I'll later post the name of the organization online, <laughs> the name of the supervisor, everyone else that was part of it, okay? The company, everything. I mean, they're horrible people, all of them. They're, they're just horrible people. Actually, they were very patient and probably saved my vehicle um, because in taking it off, they were trying to make sure they didn't destroy the, the axle, and it's an old enough vehicle that they don't make some of the parts for it anymore. We all have complaints and we all have grumblings. And since COVID, I think we feel a greater license and freedom to do it than ever before. Now, it's bad enough when we're doing it with coworkers or our bosses or our family members or things of that nature. That's bad enough. And I'm claiming it. I'm not, this is not, I, I know I'm being a little facetious. I know you guys grumble and complain. Trust me, I know. Okay. So this is something we share. But we can get in the habit of thinking that it's okay. It's a release. It's a form of, of whatever. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. And He was with Israel. For years He walks us through with them. Ten times, and probably not counting others. But He's patient with us when we're impatient with Him. James 1 Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person is going to receive the crown of life. There's something about persevering, of pressing in without complaint. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12 says some things. Says, and, uh, and let me just read this. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. And then verse 9 says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Christ is going to return. Because every time that Christ was going to return, I think this, this recent time is like a good looking time right now. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure through, under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so you'll not be sinned and condemned. That other translation says, don't swear. And the imagery almost is that, is like somebody hitting their thumb with a hammer, they're working in a carpentry shop, and they hit their thumb. And, and this is James, incidentally, who was the brother of Christ, whose father was a carpenter. And so there may have been times, possibly, that Joseph wasn't perfect. They're sitting here saying, don't go into that. Foul language has become a part of our culture today. It just is. Some of it's to shock, some of it's expressive, but, but it's, it's, it's saying this passage that even that can be something that's taken a little bit too far. I want to read you a few things here quickly in closing. One is an old song you may not have heard since it's so old, Count Your Blessings. 
Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. See what God has done. It's a song we used to sing a long time ago. I haven't heard it sung in a long, long time. We don't count our blessings anymore. Just our complaints and the things we're not getting because we're a rich society and we want everything we want now. We have a McDonald's faith. I want it my way. And I want it now. We sang a song a week or two back. Egypt said, the lyrics say, I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me. You freed me. Held back the waters of my release. A cloud by day is a sign you're with me. The fire by night is a guiding light to my feet. Because you found me. You freed me. Held back the waters of my release. Oh, Yahweh, I will not forget. I won't forget. But we do. We do. And then we grumble. There's a song we sing as well. It's called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And this is an old hymn, and some of us don't know it, but it's been around for a while. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. And what is that? Tune my heart. I was playing my guitar briefly this morning, and for a minute I was tempted to bring it out and just play something and then detune it. These musicians are way beyond anything I've ever been able to achieve. But I have one thing that is, that is a terrible curse to these people. I have a finely tuned ear. If something is out of tune, it drives me nuts. And then I want to swear. Okay? It just, it, I, I can just, I, I hear it. This song is sitting here and saying, tune my heart. In other words, I'm out of tune. Tune my heart. Tune it in so that it's pleasing to you, so it's clear, so that I'm tuned in singing a song of grace. Later it talks about raising an Ebenezer. Samuel, we're told in 1 Samuel, takes a stone, he steps it up, and he calls it Ebenezer. It means, till now the Lord has helped us. And Ebenezer means a stone of help. And the Jews later did this. They raised up stones of remembrance. It was to help them to remember things of God. You want to know how to not grumble anymore? Start with number one, shut up. Number two, though, is remember. Remember. The Jews in three days, the Israelites in three days had forgotten what had happened at the Red Sea. He parted the water and defeated their enemy. And they, 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 they're sitting here and saying the water fountain's not working. Remember what God's done. There's one part in this song of come thou fount of every blessing that that catch me every time. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. You have been saved by grace if you're a follower of Christ. You've been saved from hell. Forget whatever miracle has or has not occurred in your life. You have been saved from hell. Your life has been preserved. Your, your place in eternity established. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, oh God, like a fetter, like a, like a chain, like a rope, bind my wandering heart to thee. Why? Because I'm prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm weak. I fail. I complain. <laughs> I grumble. And too often... I forget. This morning, I call you to remember God's goodness. 
I call you to remember God's grace. I call you to come against that spirit of grumbling, that, that thing that would charge God like he has not somehow been faithful. And to remember this morning. And so to that end, when I heard the team in worship, I said, this is how I think we should end our service today. And for those of you who, the moment we go into a final song, you find that is the way that everyone stands to exit. It's quarter to ten. Where are you going to go? Kids are fine. So, Father, this morning, we bring even our grumbles and complaints to you. We lay them at your feet. This morning, we strive to remember your grace in our lives, to remember the moments that you did work within us, to not be as these Israelites who ultimately lost out on the place of promise except for Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses himself found a falling point. So this morning, help us to remember. Help us to remember.
my confession of complaint. Perhaps you need to do the same. I would encourage you, take some time this week, maybe come to before the Lord and just acknowledge the grumbles and the complaints and repent of that. Raise up an Ebenezer. Mark the points that God has done in your life. Remember those points. Don't forget. Don't lose track of that. The Jewish people, the Israelites, eventually came to understand. It took a long time. It took generations, frankly, in many cases, with some startling exceptions like a Joshua and Caleb and others. But I want you to read some of their literature and see how the tone has shifted. This is the, the third psalm, not the 23rd, the third one. It's one that David writes when he's really in distress, when it looks like he's lost everything. He's running from Absalom. He's been betrayed. It looks like everything's lost. If anyone had a right to complain, it would have been David. But notice the change in tone of this from what the Israelites and the This is the entire psalm. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. There's the complaint. There's the, what sounds like the beginning of the grumbling. But it continues on. But you, Lord, and he says, first of all, that's what they're saying. That's not what I'm saying. They're saying this, and, and I am noticing the foes. I acknowledge the situation. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I'll not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. He's just lost everything, and tens of thousands were assailing him. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. The tone changes from what the early experiences of your life. Let your tone change. Don't forget. Remember. Father, I thank you that you have provided for us. That there are points that we can go to that we can acknowledge and recognize. So that, Lord, when we're in that desert experience, when we're in that moment of darkness, when we're dealing with those who even are having complaints and bitterness against us, Lord, that we would remember your graciousness. And that we would walk through those experiences without complaint, without grumbling, without bitterness, recalling your grace and, and just recalling your grace. Go with us, Father, this day and let us be a people of grace, I pray in Jesus' name.